Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. I'm Rob McLeod, joined as always by Brendan O'Leary, and today we are discussing parent roles in the mainstream school. We use a three types of school system here on the podcast, traditional, mainstream, and progressive education. If uh, you want to know exactly what we mean by those things and you're new to us, skip ahead to the last five or six minutes of this episode. We kind of have our introduction tagged at the end of each episode. Brennan, how are you today as a parent? Too bad in all of my forms. You know, a bit tired. End of the year is approaching. Things Yourself. get busy. Similar, busy, getting towards that momentum of the end of the school year. And uh, also just enjoying being a parent with a kid who uh, knows how to sing Frank Sidebottom and the fall songs, which is pretty cool. Today, we're discussing parent roles in a mainstream school. Brendan, can you set the context? If we take a step back and we look at what the parent roles were in traditional schools or that kind of master and apprentice relationship, how did that play out with uh, what the parents are up to in terms of education? Yeah, it was really interesting to dig into this because I think when we looked at it last time around, we had a much more simplistic kind of view of what the parents did in a traditional school, which was they're in the PTA. And that's essentially kind of what we were saying. But I think, you know, it's a little bit more than that. If the school has a library, they would help out. And one of the things we dug into via an episode of Peppa Pig, the children's uh, show that you brought up, is that back in the old, old days of the one-room schoolhouse and, and the real community school, the, the parents and the community would actually be responsible for repairing the school and maybe even building the school. Now, of course, that, that that's well in the past, but at least it's it shows where the traditional kind of school started from the parent involvement. The community was really at the core. They didn't necessarily get involved in the teaching and learning. They were, they're really at arm's length from what happened inside the classroom most of the time. We've talked a lot about that. But everything else relied heavily on the community. And because of that, they were invited in. And we'll talk about the, the kind of events in schools as well, maybe a little later. And they played a, a very big part in that. The community was integrated pretty strongly into the kind of social and ongoing life of the school. And, and, you know, if you're in a traditional school uh, right now, we we'll, might see a lot of parents doing cleanups around the school or joining a field trip or helping to uh, organize uh, events via the Parent Teacher Association. They might help schools to reduce some costs and shore up some of the, the gaps in kind of like uh, provide help. Um, but it was really interesting as we started to look at what changed because on the surface keep on a lot of those things but they really dramatically changed in how they were presented and how parents and the community were invited into the school and i think one of the biggest changes is in a more traditional leaning school like you said parents would be brought in to shore up some gaps parents might be brought in to actually help out with lessons more and more. And as we shift into the mainstream, that's definitely something you will see perhaps only on a very, very rare occasion or in very uh, special circumstances. So yeah, essentially the shift that happened was the running of schools moved from the community in the traditional approach to education towards being state-run. 
And it was no longer just about the local region that was kind of rallying together to make the school happen. But now schools are a statewide thing and funding is no longer done on the local level necessarily. Of course, there'll be formulas to figure out how much funding goes on. But that kind of funding from the community no longer exists. And rather, it's, you know, carried off in some big office in the capital city or whatever. And, you know, things are directed back and shared across the nation or across the province or the state, this sort of thing. So those things where like a parent might come in to help read with a child or, you know, offer a little extra support, that's no longer provided by the parent community. Those are now official positions with contracts and, you know, maybe being hired through unions and there'll be criteria that's required. It's not just a matter of who's the helpful parent willing to come in here. So this is where we move from maybe a parent who comes in to help with reading or a little extra math support to moving into having actual classroom assistants and paid librarians. So no longer just the volunteer librarian, but someone's who, someone whose job it is to do this work. And, you know, I know there are university programs to get your qualifications to be a librarian, which I'm guessing in most mainstream schools, they're going to require that you would have some sort of training in this and not just that you're well organized and, and willing to do it, as we may have seen in the traditional approach. Parents, you could argue, are given not necessarily less meaningful roles to play in a mainstream school, but certainly roles that don't carry the same degree of perhaps accountability with them. I think that is what the mainstream is bringing in to say, no, 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 we have true like quality control. And we want to make sure that the person doing this here in this school, they're being held to the same transparent standards as someone on the other side of the country or on the other side of the state. So we've got these really clear rules. And that means that as an organization, we will take over these roles and not share them with the parent community. Yeah, it's an interesting. I've worked in a school where we started with a, a parent librarian, a kind of volunteer. And then a teacher, a classroom teacher became a librarian. And then the school hired a teacher librarian. And then the school hired a teacher librarian, the master's degree in librarian library studies. So over the course of 10, 12 years, this school went along that journey. And so it's important to say it didn't happen overnight. So it wasn't like, oh, the state starts to run the schools. And so parents are, uh, are now no longer part of it. It was a very slow process. And a similar thing with teaching assistants happened. I mean, I think teaching assistants really in Britain started to come in in late 80s, early 90s. And a lot of them, and, and to this day, a lot of uh, classroom assistants are like uh, mums or dads or someone who works, who lives in the community. But what happened is the government started to introduce a pay scale with actual qualifications for teaching assistants all the way up to higher level assistants, which essentially can plan and cover classes. And you get paid more. So it actually made this role which 25 years ago might have been come in and tidy the classroom, put up some displays, maybe read with some kids into this professional kind of role that was almost a, a, a teaching role. It's really interesting. I think that is one of the ways that when we started to look at this, it was another tricky one because it was like, 
when you move into the mainstream, things get more oversight, they get more complex, more things are involved. So we're racking our brains as like, well, hold on. It actually seems like parents are less involved here. But that makes sense because what mainstream school and mainstream society is saying that it, it wasn't effective or efficient to bring in this kind of set of volunteers to do these jobs no you actually get people who are qualified and you pay them well and you train them and then you have a better more effective system with more oversight and more transparency and more goals and so it is absolutely in line with the mainstream kind of mentality it doesn't mean that the parents have no role anymore so things like parent teacher associations do still work but the role of the parent is essentially has kind of shifted yeah and actually maybe i'll let you discuss the parent teacher association a bit because i know that was something closer to you and and less involved in my experience in ontario oh it's interesting both in in britain and especially over here in japan which arguably states schools in japan are still leaving leading heavily towards the traditional but if you're living 2022 as we've said you you're in a mainstream world and you've been in a mainstream world for centuries, arguably. And so you're never going to have a really traditional system, but the parent teacher association still plays a heavy role. And, and what they do is they will volunteer in classes. They will raise money for smaller school kind of things. And you see this thing on Twitter now, a lot of teachers or even communities making lists and asking for people to, to buy things from the list. And I think that's a, you know, it's a way for the community to support. Uh, you could argue that in that shouldn't be necessary, <laughs> that in a state-funded school system, you should not need to go on social media asking for pencils. But, you know, whatever leads you to that situation, it's a similar kind of thing. Parents or the community can contribute in that small way. But the Parent Teacher Association still, in a smaller way, uh, planning some events, some small fundraising, maybe a little bit of volunteering, they still have a part. Um, but I think maybe it's a little bit more of a rem remnant from the traditional system. And I'm not sure if going forward, the PTA will play the role. Although, arguably, again, as we move into a more progressive or a more balanced mindset of the traditional mainstream and progressive, the community once again becomes a really big part. The mainstream society is an individually driven one, goals driven and, and less community driven. So who knows whether as we move more into uh, more progressive aspects of education coming online, whether the PTA or the community will play a, a role. Um, but yeah, so how about that changing role then from the parent who might have painted the walls and come in to read with kids or done some um, uh, road crossing uh, volunteer duty. What about now? So the, the shift moves from being a support in the school to being able to support at home. And really, you are like the extension of the teacher as a coach. You are a coach at home now trying to you know help your child help the student achieve the best that they can and parents who are helping at the school um, or want to get educated on how the school is approaching their child's education those parents and those children tend to do better because they're kind of like buying into the pedagogy they have a greater understanding of what the school itself 
is doing and the methods that they are using. And therefore, the parent can act as an extension of the coach and to help to encourage their child to do even better. So if you are helping as a parent in the traditional approach, it's probably because your child isn't doing well and your role as a traditional parent was to kind of fill in the gaps of what now in the mainstream school would be expected of the teacher. The teacher is expected to act as a coach and to offer that differentiation. Now you as a parent at home are kind of an extension of supporting with that differentiation. And essentially um, at its worst, you are, I wouldn't say worse, but you're an extension, I guess, kind of like a home support classroom assistant, I guess. And at its best, you are in tandem with the classroom teacher as a coach, as a support at home as necessary. Yeah, I think it's it was an interesting kind of yeah revelation almost to be like, oh, okay, yeah, so the parent's role now really is just as that coach in the home to kind of augment what is happening in school and support that differentiated work that's sent home. And they often, uh, you know, talk about parents that do get involved in the school are their kids do better, but not because they're helping the school necessarily to be a better place of education, mostly because they're actually motivating and modeling good behavior for their kids. They're showing they have high expectations and they're more likely to understand what's happening in school and help. So it's actually still in line with that coach mentality that you're, you're the coach at home, if you like, and then the main coach is the one at school. And that's a very interesting shift. It's like, actually, you don't need to come and paint the walls as much as we might like that. What we want you to do is to support your kid at home so that they can make that academic progress or the progress, uh, once again, related to the curriculum goals. That's kind of a narrowing of, of what's possible. But that is, again, that focus is, is where the mainstream goes it's kind of like laser focusing in on like okay well we could have the parents do a hundred things but it's better for them just to do this one thing and let's let's uh, and that's where you get information sessions and so on to try and teach parents like what's happening in the school and how you can better support your kid that's all tied in with that same mentality of yeah your role now is not is is that um support yeah, so what are some of the, the good things about this um, change in how parents uh, play a part in the school? Yeah, so we're always trying to tease apart what do we want to keep, what could we set aside here. And the things we want to keep is obviously bringing parents into the school in a manner that is meaningful and as a way to like add a level of expertise beyond what is within the teacher's ability or the teachers know how. So in traditional mainstream and progressive, you're going to find parents coming into the classroom at some point, likely throughout the year for some reason. But the mainstream approach in particular is going to bring in the parent who is an expert, perhaps in the topic that is being studied or, you know, works in this field and is able to answer the kinds of questions that, you know, fielded to a teacher who's not in that field you know, that teacher is not going to be able to know. So the parents become a genuine resource for success or deepening of understanding of what is within the curriculum. 
I mean, another thing is that it ensures professionalism in the, these areas. So as we talked about, a librarian who has been through several years of, of study of the best way to actually work with children to, to engage them in reading or to stock a library that is well-resourced and, and uh, the application of the skills is likely to be able to support learning in a more effective way. And this raises expectations, which is again in line with the mainstream goals. We're trying to have these expectations that everybody has, um, what you might call grade level expectation, whatever we want everyone to meet and go beyond that to the best of their ability. And that goes for the people that work in the school as well. We want to raise the expectations of what's possible from a classroom assistant, from a sports coach, from a, um, from a librarian. Um, and we haven't said it, but I, th I think it goes without saying, but just to be safe, I'm going to say it. We're also not saying that a traditional parent volunteer who helps out in the library or coaches a team was doing a bad job. Of course, I'm sure all of us anecdotally can think of at least one parent volunteer who exceeded maybe even the mainstream person who ended up replacing them at some point down the road. Of course, there were amazing parent volunteers but from time to time, there would also be atrocious ones. And the mainstream is at least just trying to put in this level of saying, this is kind of our bare minimum expectation. And we want to make sure that everyone has at least this and exceeds it. So of course, yeah. there will have been amazing parent volunteers without qualifications. But this mainstream idea is this idea of, no, we are setting a clear, defined, transparent, measurable standard for these things. Moving away from the passionate amateur to the professional. And of course, a passionate amateur often can be wonderful and fantastic. But as you say, the mainstream is trying to say, actually, here's a level of entry into this, which, which, which means that we should have a more consistent level of skill. But um, it's no guarantee, of course, but, the, but uh, that's, what, uh, that's the aim of the mainstream. Yeah, and another aim is this idea of checks and balances. And, you know, these stories are few and far between, but one of the good things about having parents sort of given the responsibility within the PTA or the parent-teacher associations is that it prevents like one or two rogue parents from pushing a personal agenda or vendetta. These are people who often at times will get voted in or there'll be some sort of process for them to assume this role for position. Now, of course, some it is just simply, you know, no one wants to do this and whoever steps forward can do it. But there will be checks and balances on the school-wide level in terms of the authority that they are given and what is within their kind of realm of influence or control. And it also does prevent those toxic parents who in a more traditional school might be lingering around in that school building all day and perhaps, you know, wreaking havoc, making things more difficult for teachers, being unfair with some students, these sorts of things. It's creating a more of a filtering process of who is around the children, who is around the staff during the day and ensuring that it is those who are hired and professionally accountable for what's going on there. Yeah. It's in line with the same thing, isn't it? That the, that um, the whole notion of having the checks and balances and having it's not the idea is that one 
parent with a particularly strong feeling or agenda, or, or even a member of staff with that, can't really affect change through the whole system just with their kind of their agenda because everything is held accountable by these standards and and the fact that we have oversight and the you know the checks and balances go on. Um, or a really important part of this is the notion of child protection and the police checks that are now. It, actually, in Britain, I think any parent that even volunteers for a longer term needs it, but it hasn't always been the case. And I'm, I'm still not sure to what extent that is fully enforced. But what is enforced, if you're applying to be a classroom assistant or working officially inside the school, you will need to have gone through the the valid police checks, you know, with, above all, the kids need to be safe. And this is a, a vital kind of part that is coming through the mainstream. The paperwork associated with unions, contracts, and ensuring standards of work that is done. As we said, in the, in the more traditional approach, it's just whoever we could find, whoever is willing to step forward, or in best, like you said, the passionate immature, the person who really wants to do this. And of course, there are babies and bathwaters with that too. But one of the benefits of this more mainstream approach is ensuring that things are transparent, measurable, the same across the board for everybody, and ensuring that certain standards of work are met when we're with children. And in theory, at its best, this would help to ensure a reduction of uh, inequity between schools across a district, across a state, across a country, by ensuring that all schools are guaranteed at least this level, if not more, of work, of services provided for the children and the learners there. Yeah, absolutely. And so those are some of the potential positives of the way that parents are, are involved in in schools now in mainstream schools but there's as with always the, there's what we call bathwaters there's things that are a drawback and um, and one of the big one of the bigger ones is if you're a, a traditional or even a progressive parent you would bulk somewhat a power now being handed more and more over to the state and the, the the community being completely irrelevant to the school like you could just pick up that school and move it to anywhere else in the world and plonk it back down and it would not change because it does not interact with the community around it. And uh, it becomes isolated. It's kind of like you, like we talked about bringing in the, the members of the community who had something to offer, normally connected to the curriculum or academic kind of, um, kind of studies. But the old one-room schoolhouse that was funded and cared for by the local community or the progressive school that is integrated into the farming community or the the many ways that the humans around can play a role in the meaningful day-to-day -day, uh, learning of of kids of all ages that's all gone it's all gone in, in the uh, in the mainstream it is just like gunning for those kind of test scores and uh, isolating yourself so that you can really focus on it. That is, that would be the criticism of many traditional or progressive parents or educators.
Yeah, and I, I don't think I'm strawmanning here, but like maybe deep down in the core of a mainstream educator, they'd see that there's that potential of fantastic community resources, but it's just so not efficient to dig through, sort through, filter out what is the most effective. Because at the end of the day, that mainstream teacher has that accountability of ensuring progress, ensuring student achievement. And if there's a lot of time having to be dedicated to finding a way to make the community a resource to serve that end, they're likely to just turn to other things that will be more efficient at ensuring that effectiveness. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. The school, be, like you said, becomes an isolated part of the community. And the interactions between community and school, I wouldn't go as far to say are inauthentic, but are only happening within a few bandwidths. And there's not that larger, more quote unquote, authentic interplay between the school being an extension of the community, which we're more likely to see in a traditional or progressive school. Yeah, there's a, a fun example from when I worked in England and we had like a recycling plant or a, the, the tip or the dump, as we would call it, you're not too far from the school and people who were in the community who worked. However, we hired a traveling recycle kind of professor with the kind of this toy robot thing who did a show for an hour about recycling. And it was great. It was a lot of fun, but you know, you can just see the kind of progressive or even traditional educator parents saying dude we got the real thing like just down the road with like people who work there who'll come and show us around and talk to us we could go see it we could go see (laughs) it we could go and actually experience this thing but what about the dancing robot it's like oh we could do both maybe you know but um so it's that kind of abstracted nature. You're abstracting what the community can give you rather than actually meaningfully integrated. And that's because it is messy. If you start to get involved with the community and, and real people in real life, it's a lot messier. It's a lot less efficient and effective. But both the traditional, especially progressive, would say that's where the richness and the meaning of uh, education and life comes in. So good and bad. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. All right, Brennan. So that was parent roles in the mainstream school. We are actually approaching our last two topics for our mainstream school season. We've got community outreach coming up, but our next episode will be on the mainstream approach to school events. So what do sports days, talent shows, competitions, art music shows, end of the year festivals, family picnic times, all that sort of stuff. What are the characteristics of it in the mainstream school? Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob. And now time for the reinventing education. Three types of school in a nutshell. If you're new to us, hopefully this is a helpful guide to navigate some of the terminology we use on our podcast. All right, so every school and every educator is in a tug of war, and we're pulled in three different directions. Each of the three directions has its own definitions about what makes for a good education. But this tug of war is difficult to notice, because the three directions to education each use the same vocabulary, 
but each of the three directions has their own definitions for what that vocabulary means. So let's characterize these three approaches with the following names, traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And let's connect each to its relationship between a student and teacher. So traditional uses a master and apprentice model. Mainstream uses coach and athlete model. And progressive uses a counselor and counseled model. Now, these three approaches to education would agree on the surface that education has the same three aims. Those three aims of education are for occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, each of the three approaches to school, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, has completely different ideas about what occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, and self-development requires. So how does each of the three approaches to education meet the three aims of school? Well, with traditional master and apprentice, we see that the teacher is an expert and knows the one best way for students to achieve academic success and meet the three aims. In the mainstream, the Olympic coach and athlete model, the teacher works to assess and create each student's individual optimal way, balancing the effectiveness and efficiency to achieve maximum academic success in relationship to the curriculum to meet those three aims. And finally, the progressive, the counselor and counseled. The teacher and student negotiate the student's path to achieve their goals for academic success to meet the three aims. Each teacher will have a preference towards one approach, while the school itself may have an overall consensus, and this is where you'll find the tug of war. These three approaches not only define how an education is conducted in the classroom, but it also informs three different directions in terms of a school's organization, its culture, and its practices. The traditional master and apprentice requires a clear pyramid of authority, prioritizing security along with duty and tradition, putting trust in those in authority to uphold their duty for the integrity of the system. The mainstream coach and athlete uses a flowchart with a mobility for all, which serves as a flexible meritocracy of authority prioritizing achievement along with measurable progress and transparency towards meeting specific goals, putting the results of those in authority as important for the integrity of the system. And finally, progressive counselor and counseled uses horizontal leadership like a circle prioritizing inclusion along with individuals' needs for meaning and empowerment, putting the personal and group significance as important for the integrity of the system. We often see tugs of war between how to organize the overall structure, either reinforcing the pyramid, a flowchart, or a circle. Each of these three types of school can be done well, somewhat effectively, or poorly, and each can suit a specific context better than the rest. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it's better for a school to choose the type of school that best suits its students, staff, and community context, and do it to be high-functioning. Otherwise, the ongoing tug-of-war between the three approaches comes at the expense of time, resources, passion, and relationships, while not even ensuring that any of the three approaches is done well. Here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring the idea of the next type of school, a post-progressive approach to education that prioritizes the integration of these three previous types of school. Why? Well, an integration approach would seek a flexible and adaptive balance of the three previous approaches 
as an adaptive approach to inquire into and provide what is deemed a best fit for students, community, and the system in a given context to best meet those three educational aims of occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development as defined by those involved. The integration value attempts to maximize the gifts when appropriate of each approach to education while discerning how to minimize unnecessary drawbacks that are required when in wholly investing in doing one approach. In order to integrate the gifts of the three previous types of school, we need to know what we have to work with. So on our podcast, we're digging deep into these three types of school and trying to tease apart the babies and the bathwaters of each one.